Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which talks to Christian leaders about the topics that really matter. I'm Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Belinda Perryman, a senior commercial advisor for Shell. Belinda has worked for Shell International in the Far East, Africa, the Middle East and Europe in technical, finance, HR and commercial positions. Having lived as a visitor in other countries for many years, she returned to the UK in 2012 to lead a large industrial clean energy project. So welcome, Belinda, to the Leadership Farm. Thank you very much. Um, so you studied, um, you studied physics at Oxford. At what point did you imagine this kind of career path? Interesting first question. Uh, it's a bit of a varied career path, but I did imagine that joining something as geopolitically significant as the oil industry in the 80s would be a really good way to be part of different cultures, to learn from those different cultures. And then I've had the chance to be a guest worker myself, as you say, in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And that's kind of built on that respect for other people's perspectives and other ways of doing things than my uh, traditional British way of doing things. It's something I, I enjoyed doing at Oxford right back then, actually. We had uh, something called a gate, which welcomed uh, students, language students, coming from all parts of the world to Oxford to study. And, and some of that was a cup of coffee and social, and some of it was literally woolly jumpers um, in the winter and just getting to know and have friendships with people from all around the world. So I guess I feel I've I've kept doing what I like doing at Oxford, so it's it's not too much of a shock. Uh, clearly, what I've done specifically, I couldn't have predicted, and uh, that's that's been the, the fun of it as well. Sure. Uh, are you going back to were the career fairs when you graduated, and was Shell one of the people that you looked at, or was a was it fairly clear to you that Shell was going to be the place? Oh, we did have career fairs. We also had something called a milk round. Oh yes, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. Okay. <laughs> So uh, indeed, the IBM, the, the big companies would come round and uh, take over the big hotel and uh, interview people. And that's uh, indeed good old Randolph Hotel in Oxford um, was uh, the host of one of those for Shell. It was, I think it was the oil industry or the diplomatic corps. And I remember at the time having a bit of a, an issue with the diplomatic corps because it was made very clear in the initial sort of rounds at the time that one had to always represent and there was only one possibility if one didn't agree with the position that Britain was taking in the Foreign Office which was really to resign you can only do that once and I kind of thought I might have a short career there so. <laughs> absolutely yeah. you probably, I'm sure you chose very wisely so so uh, can you kind of describe the nature of your work in lay language I, I gave a brief introduction there but um, you know what's the sort of thing that you you've been involved in doing Yes, lay language is quite a challenge there, Andy. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. I started working on an oil rig um, offshore, as it turned out, in the South China Sea. At the time, I was the only graduate on the rig, so it's something called a well site engineer. Well. Wow. So as the graduate, you're kind of told everything that's got a number in it, you know, that's your responsibility. So that involves looking after cement jobs, you put cement between the pipe, literally standing on bits of pipe and measuring them, looking after the chemicals that go into something called mud, which pretty much is mud, but uh, keeps enough pressure on the hydrocarbons that you're developing. 
So from that very practical start, which is a great introduction to the industry because you kind of know the sweat and you know what it takes to do something when you're working uh, on a rig site. I then went into the office and did computer modeling, lots of calculating, forecasting, production of oil and gas wells. And quite often, production of oil and gas is quite significant in a country's economy. So those predictions can have a, quite an impact on the budget and how you know, a country makes good decisions on how to use that income. So I then went as an economist, sort of getting quite mathematical there as an economist, um, and then in finance, then in personnel, when we did, did a big reorganization. But I think I really found my home about 10 years ago in commercial projects. So that's what I've been doing, um, leading increasingly large acquisitions and projects, not only oil and gas, but had you know, the opportunity as well in biofuels, and most recently as the shell lead for the Peterhead carbon capture and storage project. Uh, that's a project with the UK government, so it's not just a shell project. Wow, so it's it, it quite a quite a breadth of, of involvement in all sorts of aspects, as you say, from uh, from literally being on an oil rig through to you know looking at computers, etc. So, um, I mean, you've you've travelled widely. Um, which of the countries live most in the memory? Yeah, I don't know if it's the same for lots of people who've travelled around. The first country you get the chance to live in, be exposed at, for me, you know, must have a special place in my heart. It's the first job, the first house, the first car. Um, I even actually got married in Brunei. So that first country where I worked in Brunei is still remains very special. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and you've been involved in leading a variety of projects. Does Shell have a kind of a particular training path or is it a, do you get sort of thrown in the deep end and you have to kind of fend for yourself? How does it work? Well, Shell traditionally had a, a really good and quite quite well-known, you know, solid training program. So when I started a long time ago in the 80s, we had four months solid training in The Hague. So there's 20 of us who joined as petroleum engineers before going out on the well site. But still, when you look back at a 22-year-old and see, gosh, you know, you were responsible for all that stuff on the well site yeah. at 22, however much training you get, you know, there's still quite a lot of risk. And I think Shell's quite good and, you know, continues to be quite good to let people get hands-on experience and actually do real jobs and not just be sitting around watching people. You, the graduates immediately get, you know, real jobs and uh, responsibilities along with that. But they have something called Open University, their own version of it. And I've had training pretty much every year, uh, particularly moving around between, you know, everything from finance to HR and technical and everything. Um, but I feel I've been pretty well equipped for everything I've done. But I also love learning. You know, I love going up the learning curve and getting a new topic regularly. And for other people, they prefer to get deeper and deeper into, you know, the one profession, one topic. And... Sometimes I envy people, you know, if you're out at dinner and somebody says, what do you do? And for me, I, there's always a slight sort of pause because it's a bit complicated. It'd be so nice just to say I'm a lawyer, you know, or a dentist or, mm -hmm. you know, something simple because it's not simple. But on the other hand, you know, the upside is it's incredibly diverse, incredibly uh, varied opportunities to learn whole new topics, you know, including something like sugarcane in Brazil that, I never would have known much about and you have to go quickly and deeply into the topic to be negotiating with people who've been for decades literally family businesses you know running these sugarcane um, plantations to 
since the 1930s. Wow, yeah. Uh, um, obviously, um, large multinationals have not always had a good press. Um, uh, you know, people who know very little about the oil industry will, will kind of think, well, fossil fuels cause the environment damage. So, um, you know, you've been involved in projects that address this to some degree, and I'm sure Shell has had to face some of these issues as, as the decades have gone past. Yes, certainly, as you mentioned. I mean, it is a decades issue, and I think we've all been a bit slow to wake up to the reality of climate change. And increasingly, you know, more and more people are aware. But I guess the challenge then, again, for you know, big companies and for us as individuals is changing our, our habits, our own you know, ways of taking our own car or leaving the heating on or not insulating our houses. You know, even the fuss about changing our light bulb type or our vacuum cleaner, you know, what it, power or whatever, you know, it's um, it's. I think it's a responsibility for all of society, and mm. I think it's such a shame we've got into this kind of, I don't know, it's something like a Hollywood movie: the bad guys and the good guys. Indeed, you know, yeah, fuels, yeah. You know, they're bad, but okay. You know, then you know, don't don't drive around, don't turn your lights on, don't heat your house, but. Yeah. You know, that's not the reality. So we have to work together to reduce the emissions. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the fossil fuel companies, the big companies, do have some useful skills and resources to bring to bear on this problem. So I'm, you know, really glad I've had the opportunity to work on projects you know, increasingly in recent years that, as you say, I mean, they're a small part, but they're, they're addressing head-on some of the issues and they're you know, reducing emissions rather than creating more. So I don't know if you want me to sort of give some examples. Well, yeah, that would be fascinating. Yeah, please do. I mean, the one was, you know, people get surprised when on the Shell website and, you know, we have these helpful driving tips so that you use less fuel. You know, people say, well, aren't you trying to sell more fuel? Well, no, we're definitely trying to encourage, you know, more efficient use of fuel. Uh, I was then involved in something many years ago now when we got out of um, coal uh, altogether. And, and again, you know, now it's very clear the figures and coal is by far the dirtiest fossil fuel. But even just switching from coal to gas makes a huge difference. So mm. everything we can do to you know, move it in the right direction um, is very helpful. And, and biofuels as well, I mean, you know, they've had some bad, bad press because they're a bad biofuel. There's, there's really, you know, unsustainable biofuel projects, but there are also good projects that, that really, when you mix the biofuels with the traditional fuels, you know, you are burning less, um, well, you're creating less emissions when you're driving, when you're traveling. So these kind of projects, and obviously the most recent one, the one I'm most passionate about, is the Peterhead Carbon Capture and Storage Project, partly because it's taking an old power station that's run by SSE, has been run for years and years, but you can now you know, add something on the back of the power station, within the power station fence, to capture 90% of the carbon dioxide. Wow. And that will then be yeah, pumped offshore through an existing pipeline to existing wells, and then the CO2 will be stored forever um, deep below the North Sea. So these kind of projects where you're using, you know, the oil and gas people, assets, it, it does seem a very sensible approach to get get together on this problem. That's fantastic. And, and move away from the yeah. Ninety percent of emissions. Wow, that is that is astonishing. Yeah. 
while you're listening yeah, well, to... Yeah, well, that's at least enough to be clean energy by the UK's definition. Yeah, so, indeed. So, yeah. you know, Peterhead, if it get, goes ahead with the investment decision later mm. in the year, mm. um, that's a town's worth of clean electricity. Yeah. And, and you can repeat it on other power stations throughout mm. the country. Excellent. Well, you've been listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Belinda Perriman. She's the Senior Commercial Advisor for Shell. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Belinda Perriman. She's the Senior Commercial Advisor for Shell. Um, we were talking before the break of uh, something of her journey into Shell and some of the vari- variety of things she's, be- she's been doing and particularly some of the recent projects which uh, are aiming to address uh, you know, some of the, the, the problems uh, from uh, emissions of uh, fossil fuel. Uh, so turning more to the kind of Christian side of, of, of your life, um, uh, Belinda, um, uh, not that this hasn't been Christian, of course, thus far, but um, and is your work environment the kind of place where Christian faith is discussed? Um, how, how have you found being a Christian in, a, in an organisation like Shell? Yeah, it's um, interesting the way you put it, indeed, because I, I don't feel it's turning to something separate. No, you know, no. And I, I do hope it, that we all, you know, learn more how to integrate things, and and, and the whole of our work is is mm. really our our faith. And so for me, I you know, yes, you have conversations at work, and there have been some challenges, but I've not felt that you know real dilemma or pulling, which I know a lot of you know my friends have felt working in industry and I must say for myself I haven't had such a big challenge in that that area you have lots of time to get to know people when you're living in remote locations outside of work as well as inside of work so you know you're just friends together working and you get to talk about all sorts of topics and that includes one's faith and and I guess for us it's been more hosting things in the home so sort of alpha courses um, marriage courses discussions um, of all kinds over the years with people I, you know we know through my work but you get you know to know them much better outside of work as well and, and so the, have there been challenges in particular in in being a Christian and doing a job there have been sort of isolated challenges I, I must say you know when I was looking um, at the Syrian assets and what we should do with those Syrian assets as the situation there developed at the end of 2011. You know, we, there is a commercial case, and I, I must say I felt a sense of relief that it did seem to align with what also seemed the right thing to do in, in that ridiculously com- complex situation. But, you know, there, there was a possibility to sell the assets to someone that we knew would bust uh, sanctions. So whilst companies, you know, like ourselves, always keep to sanctions, you know, it's, it might have been value, you know, to, to somebody to do something that I would be very uncomfortable to. But, you know, I say it didn't come down that way. Very clear decision. You can have those discussions in the company. And um, I've appreciated, I guess, the historical legacy that the company has of being founded on some pretty solid principles. And, you know, whilst no company is perfect, mm. I haven't, uh, you know, fortunately myself come across anything where I felt I had to resign you know back to that initial thing where you know with the foreign office that uh, the sort of clarity that needs to be about the British position I guess in Shell we, we are we do get to talk quite a lot it's quite collegiate there's a lot of really 
wide thinking, very interesting people and get the challenge. It's not, you know, toe the, toe the line and this is what you're doing. It's quite acceptable to have a discussion and make those kind of challenges where you feel there is a, a value issue or a, a moral issue that, that needs more, more time before going ahead with, it, with something. Yeah. Um, perhaps we could move on to talk a bit about some of the, ch- the charity work you've been involved in. In, in 2007, you were involved in starting the Dutch Partner Branch of International Justice Mission. Mission. You've worked with Serve the City Netherlands, developed a charity matchmaking service in The Hague, and been an advisor for a human rights organisation in London, amongst amongst other things. Um, you know, um, how did your interest, particularly in the in the International Justice Mission, come about? Yeah, we were living in the in um, the Hague. You know, it's a city swarming with lawyers, and I'd kind of been to the Hague lots of times and I hadn't thought about it before. But it was really having um, a presentation from somebody who'd been involved in the awful aftermath of what happened in Rwanda and trying to bring reconciliation and dispute solving. And they developed a, a passion for helping create evidence and going after people who were doing some pretty extreme cases of injustice. So I think my sense of you know justice that I'd had as a teenager and as I caught some sense of God's justice and his mercy, it, it somehow just connected with something with me in The Hague finally, and I say not the first time I've been there, but it was just this sort of, well, here's an opportunity um, to actually start something. So you know we were on a little committee and it's an American organization and it's very well run. But The Hague was such a you know, logical place. We had to make a pitch that The Hague should be the next branch of International Justice Mission. You know, I'm delighted to say it got the support of Dutch churches, which is what it really needed, um, and is up and running. And as I say, I think there's a pretty limited supply of lawyers, some of whom you know, would like to get involved in something like International Justice Mission. I mean, maybe I should say what it is a, a bit more for those who don't know. Mm, sure. Um, it does actually go after, in particular, a big part of its work is cases against people who are holding uh, laborers in bondage. So any sort of bonded labor, which is illegal in every country in the world, but it's, it's a case of implementing that legislation. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, we're in a situation where it's actually growing. The amount of, of this sort of slave labor, basically, is growing in some countries. So, yeah, traditionally, that is women in, in sexual trafficking, uh, it's people in big brick factories who can never leave because they had a small debt um, and it even gets passed down from generation to generation. So it's about breaking that chain and breaking those illegal activities with a very rigorous legal process. Uh, and in the meantime, when those successful cases then go on the books, of course, you've developed a better case history in that country. So I love the, you know, the the systematic, you know, the solid way they do this, and uh, yeah, it's just been great to be mm. uh, seeing seeing that even though I'm not legally trained, it's something that that sense of justice, I guess, as a Christian, resonates with very strongly. Mm. It, I mean, it's imp- I have to say, it sounds very impressive, given that you're a you're in a different country, b you're doing a lot of travelling, <laughs> um, and and that for many people that would be more than enough to to, <laughs> to keep. <laughs> You know, keep you going, and you 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 decided. Well, let's you know, let's do something more, and um, it sounds sounds fantastic. Well, I've got a lot of energy from that kind of work. I mean, I'm the sort of 
person that gets that energy. So even here in London, we had a system we could pop out at lunchtime, you know, and help for a, uh, a shelter that did people's washing and had a service for a dentist and stuff like that for people on low income who didn't really have anywhere to go. And, and just, I came back always, you know, I only went one, one lunch a week and it was like, I got so much from that one, one or two hours to last me another week, you know, of, of whatever happened in the office. It, it was just this touch point of, you know, reality and, and what other people, I'm going to say, other people's perspective and what else is going on, uh, you know, as well as the, the business world. Mm. So I, I don't feel it was like me sacrificing or giving. It definitely has always been the, the energy it's given me mm. to, to do that kind of stuff. Oh, that's, that's terrific to hear. And other charity work uh, that you do as well? Anything you want to particularly mention? Well, Serve the City is now pretty good global, so mm. some people may have heard that, but not just for churches, it's for everybody to do projects around the city to make a difference, whether that's cleaning up the rail, you know, some siding or some parkland that's been neglected, doesn't get cleaned up ever, or helping older people to put their gardens uh, in order great projects again you know lots of fun socializing meeting different people you put on these teams given a t-shirt you know and you go out and do some serious work for the day to help in various cities um so you know brussels was the starting place it must be now 15 years ago um i was involved in amsterdam and the hague uh, dublin as well uh, a number of projects in the uk but as far as the field you know as russia and other places where you think, gosh, you know, there's so many issues in all of these countries, but just get on and do some small things in the community. Again, you know, extremely rewarding. And um, yeah, the, the idea of the, the matchmaking service was, um, again, a city with lots of expats, people, some people with actually quite a lot of time on, on their hands, and fantastic charities may exist in the city. So just to get people connected um, to things that are already happening. You know, in a country like the Netherlands, then um, even not speaking Dutch is not a complete impediment. And so, you know, the matchmaking, you know, yeah, that is a restriction, but that many charities will welcome you to help out, uh, even if you don't speak Dutch. So it's quite a remarkable country. Well, some say this. <laughs> we could be like that. Well, indeed, <laughs> some say the Dutch speak better English than we do. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've right. certainly met I've certainly met a few Dutch people who speak better English than us. So, uh, and now you're back in in London. Uh, since 2012? Yeah, so it's been a, a busy time with the Peterhead Carbon Capture Storage Project, mm. you know, lots of time with the, um, the Department of Energy, great. Uh, the main team was up in Aberdeen, so I was flying up and down to Aberdeen at least every other week. Um, and, yeah, that's now come to a, an end, which is good. But I've been increasingly getting involved in, in more charity work here in London, and uh, at the moment we've got a dinner this month for something called Refugee support network so perhaps i can put a bit of a plug for them it's a organization that's encouraging people coming into britain to get plugged into education as much as possible so even if they don't stay here uh, young people coming in rather than just sitting in a bed sit or something to get them connected and learning and developing themselves you know whatever the future might hold to give them more encouragement okay. about that and uh, whatever their experience is in the uk at least add some, some good education in while they're here. Fantastic. Well, we can put some of these details on the website so that people can listen again to, to our conversation, but also to access some of the websites. So maybe we can um, yeah, we can make that happen. So, well, Belinda, time's, time's defeated us, but it's been terrific to, 
to chat with you and uh, you've had such a rich and varied um, kind of working life with Shell and uh, thank you for all that you shared and your enthusiasm for, um, for, for the projects that you were involved in as well Thank you. So you've been listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Belinda Perriman. She is the Senior Commercial Advisor for Shell, uh, but she's also, as we've been talking, involved in other charitable work, international justice mission, Serve the City, and uh, the Refugee Support Network. And so we'll put links uh, on the, um, the uh, archive version of The Leadership File. I'll go to the on-demand part of the site, and, uh, and you'll see uh, uh, old uh, archive shows, including uh, this one in due course with... Uh, with these links too. So thank you for your your company. Do uh, join us again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. Thank you.